Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So we are uh, continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. We've been in Luke for a while. Probably will be for a little longer, but it's kind of fun, I think. Uh, chapter 10 today. Last week, uh, Jesus sent uh, 72 people, uh, disciples, but not the original 12, 72 in addition to those, out. And today they return. They return with joy. Woohoo! Uh, that's, that's a good way to come back. The original 12, if you recall, the first time they went out, uh, they hit some obstacles, didn't go real, real well for them. This group comes back with some initial success. So that was kind of a, a cool today, uh, deal for them. I want to look at verse 16 of chapter 10 as sort of an introduction to today. So you pull that up for me. It says, whoever listens to you, listens to me. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So Jesus has this uh, intimate relationship with the Father. He says at one point, uh, the Father and I are one. They are deeply connected. There is an intimacy there that really is profound in, in many ways to just think about. It's also really, uh, it's, it's beautiful to see that. Uh, but here's the thing is that Jesus invites us into that relationship. He invites us to be a part of that intimate connection between him and the Father. That's, that's really what this whole thing is all about. We, we, again, we were praying this morning before service just for God's presence to be here and to be known because everything else is subordinate to that. Nothing else really matters if, if we don't come into that connection, that relationship, that intimate place of the presence of God. And that's what he's invited us into. So uh, with, with that as kind of the uh, intro or the background, our title today is The Eyes of a Child. Uh, and so let's pray and then we'll look at the rest of the passage together. Father, I pray you would give us the eyes of a child today, that we would see the mystery and the beauty of, of you and your kingdom in a fresh way, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, as Paul says uh, this morning, that, that we might really come into an even deeper understanding uh, of you than, than we've known before. And some of us have walked with you for a long time, but I believe that uh, we, we can never uh, know all there is to know, that there's always more. There's always more of who you are, more of your presence. So would you, uh, would you just reveal yourself to us afresh? today. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and look at the rest of the passage. The 72 returned with joy, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
And at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All right. So uh, I want to work backwards on this a little bit. Start at verse 21. He says, you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and you revealed them to little children. What things? Uh, he, he mentions here, he talks about uh, the things of the kingdom, spiritual authority. This is really a passage on warfare uh, and the authority that we have to overcome the attacks of the enemy in the kingdom of God. Jesus came to reveal God, to make God known. And he says that we can see that we become aware of it with the eyes of a child. If we are in this category of kind of self-proclaimed wise, self-proclaimed learned, uh, sort of a know-it-all, that will actually prevent us from seeing who God is and how God works. Now, I I don't think God is necessarily picking and choosing who gets to see him and who doesn't. I don't think he's saying, well, you know, Doug's been a good guy this week, so I'll let him in. Dawn, not so much. He's out. Uh, I don't think God's doing that at all. He, he really has, we, we live in a, in a world uh, by the creation of God that has really two, two things happening at once. There's the natural realm, the world that we see around us every day. Uh, and there's also a spiritual realm where things are happening that have effect on what's happening in the natural realm, but we don't always see that. And we have to have eyes to see. We have to have Jesus as the eyes of a child. We have to have a humility and authenticity. We, we have to have a certain innocence about us to be able to see that realm. Otherwise, it remains hidden to us. If we're wise in our own eyes, like the Pharisees and the lawyers and the people that were coming to Jesus and questioning him all the time and trying to sort of trip him up, uh, those things are hidden from them. They can't really see who Jesus is. Uh, you know, they looked at him... Uh, and and they, they didn't see the kingdom of God. They didn't see the Son of God. They kind of had that, we've got it all figured out. I'm the smartest guy in the room attitude. And so they, they look at Jesus and they go, this guy can't possibly be God. He's a subversive. He's a rebel. He's a long-haired hippie. You know, he can't possibly be God. I have a theory off the topic. It only, it only has application to about four people. Uh, because the rest of you are too young. But when I was growing up in the 70s, anybody ever at least heard of the Jesus People Movement? Okay, see, so in the 70s, all these hippies got saved. Just thousands and thousands of hippies came to Christ. And my theory is that was because they identify with Jesus. They all looked like him. They had long hair and beards, and they were all barefooted, and they wore weird clothes. And so they thought, oh, well, he's like us. And so that's why that happened. I don't think that'll ever happen again, because hipsters are different. They don't, they don't have the same thing. The hippies, they, were, they looked just like Jesus. So that's my theory. Well, you know, I'm just saying. The Pharisees looked at Jesus, and they go, this guy can't be God. He can't possibly be God. Uh, they, they didn't have eyes to see him. Even when Jesus moved in power, he cast demons out of people, and what do they say? Oh, well, he does that by the power of Beelzebub. That's how he does it. Can't be God. Voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And what do they say? What, did you hear that? 
I, th I think that was thunder. I heard thunder. They didn't, they didn't recognize the very voice of God identifying who Jesus was. They were blinded from it. Now, I think that, that mindset is uh, somewhat less common today. However, I would say there are still those folks who are kind of self-proclaimed vanguards of the truth. And, and you know who they are. I don't have to name names. But they're the ones that are always pointing out everybody else's errors. Well, this, this guy's wrong. That church is wrong. These people are wrong. Uh, it's really important to them to be right and to point out how wrong everybody else is. It's interesting to me how uh, there are parallels between sort of the ability to really believe in God in a, in a simple way and sort of that level of sort of sophistication in life, if you know what I mean. The more sophisticated we become, the more challenging it becomes to really believe in God. Uh, so, so with that in mind, the, those folks who are self-identify as atheists, people who say, I have no belief in God whatsoever, there is no God. There's a whole spectrum of belief, you know, some people are agnostic, some people, I, I, there's some God, I don't know what, but those that say, I don't believe in God at all. That number of people in our country is growing pretty rapidly. Uh, in 2007, 1.6% of Americans identified as atheists. In 2014, seven years later, 3.1%. So that still seems like a small number, but it doubled in seven years. People that say there's no God, as you might expect, and this is the point, uh, that number is greatest among young people Millennials, their beanies and their flannels. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you so. Uh, no, and, edu and, and educated people. The, if you, the, the higher level of education, the propensity to believe in God goes down. It just, it just works that way. Now, let's make sure here, for the tape, uh, I am not in any way making a case against education. I'm not saying it's bad to go get an education. I am saying... Sometimes with that, there comes a self-importance that says that I do have it all figured out. I don't really need uh, any outside input or influence in my life. I'm able to learn what I need to know. And, th and the truth is that the things of the kingdom of God aren't learned in that way, are they? They're revealed by the Spirit rather than learned through our own intellect. It's spiritual, not intellectual. The, 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 the rational realm, the scientific realm, it makes sense. It all does. When you look at it, it's, it's, it you go, this, is, this just all makes sense until it doesn't. Until you come to that place in your life where all, all of the learning and all the education and all the scientific theory and everything else can't fill the emptiness in your heart that only God can fill. That, that's when it stops making sense. I've shared this before, but it illustrates this point so well. But years ago, I, I led a, uh, a midweek service for young adults at a large church. And so there were several hundred young people coming, mostly, uh, you know, it was, it was some early 90s. It was a lot of musicians, artists, and kind of artistic types, uh, very, very... A creative, eclectic sort of group. And uh, one night during worship, uh, this young lady was there for the first time and 
She was probably in her mid to late 20s, but appeared to be older. Looked like she probably had a, a rough go a little bit. Uh, and during worship, she just started to cry. And she just cried and cried and cried. And she cried through the entire service. And at the end, I went over to talk to her for a minute. And of course, she got, you know, makeup and mascara running down her face. She's a mess. And added to the whole hot mess effect. I mean, just she was unraveled at this point. And she says, I, I haven't been to church since Easter of 1985. But, but those songs... And she didn't have any words to even describe it. She had no context, no, no grid for what was happening to her. All she knew is something in those songs broke her heart. See, the kingdom of God is the most accessible to those of us who don't have it all figured out and who do uh, recognize our own need. I, I'm lacking, Lord. I, I need your presence in my life because without it, I really am lost. And that's the place where we find him. It's not the place of I've got it all figured out. And I think at times, my assessment is, we're all guilty of overthinking it sometimes, right? We all get to that place. Uh, let, me, let me just see if anybody identifies. You're, you're doing your daily reading or whatever, and you go, out. Well, how many times have I read this book? I've read Ephesians six times, seven times, eight times. I've read it 25 times. I know what it says. And you kind of skip over a little bit. We've got it all figured out. There's nothing new there. We're all guilty of that. I think um, we can take a step back. We can say, Lord, let me see you in a new way today. Show me something I don't know. Can I just experience your beauty and your presence in a fresh way today? Just pray that prayer and see what happens. Makes a reference here to snakes and scorpions. And that really is, he's talking about demonic forces in our lives. Um, But what Jesus says is we we can have victory over those things. In verse 18 he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And what does that mean when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven? He's referring to Isaiah. Go uh, one more. Uh, go one more. There, nope. Uh, one more. Go f- forward. One more. There we go. <laughs> Isaiah 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. Isaiah here is, this is, uh, Isaiah is referring to the planet Venus. This is actually an an astronomical, astronomical phenomena 
in the night sky, Venus was the brightest star. It appeared to be the brightest. And as the night would progress, it would get brighter and brighter. And so Venus would shine the brightest just before the morning. So, you know, in the, in the dawn, in just before dawn, Venus is the brightest. But then as soon as the sun would come up, it would drop from the sky and disappear. And that's what Isaiah is referring to here is that actual phenomenon. In the ancient world, they believed stars were gods, and, and if a particular god got too arrogant, too haughty, too big for his britches, then they would disappear. They would be erased from the sky. That was sort of how the, the, their mindset worked. So the term morning star became uh, sort of a, a title uh, for any spiritual entity that, that grew prideful. And that's what uh, Isaiah says happens of Satan is he was bright, he was shining, he became too prideful and was extinguished. And that's exactly what Jesus is referring to here. So as the disciples went out and they ministered to people and they prayed for those that were sick and they fed the people that were hungry and they cared and they welcomed people, Satan's star, who looked so bright, he seemed so powerful, began to fade. There's a direct relationship between the kingdom of God going and the presence of Satan being diminished. Here's a little historical side note. In the fourth century, Jerome, one of the church fathers, translated uh, scripture into Latin for the first time, and the words morning star were translated in Latin as Lucifera. That's the Latin for morning star, Lucifera. That's where we get the term Lucifer. So when we hear Satan or the devil referred to as Lucifer, we realize that's actually not in the Bible. It's a Latin translation of morning star that came in the fourth century through Jerome. Uh, so you don't have to pay any extra for that. That was free. Um, if you're looking for a place uh, to find random historical facts that no one cares about, you're in the right place. I don't know why stuff like that interests me so much. But uh, Jesus is using a form of speech here that was common again in the ancient Near East, not used as much today. Um, and it can be misunderstood. It's called proleptic speech. Proleptic speech is this. He's referring to an ongoing process as though it's already complete. Now, <laughs> that is used today a little bit, uh, mostly by politicians. Politicians will talk about it. We've, we've won the battle. We've won, the, we've won this race. You know, when they really haven't won the race, it's still going on. But they, or we won the war on drugs. Well, we haven't won the war on drugs, but you'd like us to think we did. So, so politicians will say things as though they're complete, they're finished, when they're really not. But it has significant impact in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying Satan fell from heaven. Uh, he was extinguished. That hasn't actually happened. It's an ongoing process. And yet uh, we know the end game. We know that Jesus is correct in his assessment that that is what happens. When we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're praying for, for the kingdom of God, the rule of God to come into the present reality as it will be in heaven. It's not geographic, heaven and earth. It's really eschatological. It has to do with the kingdom of God breaking into this world. One day that'll all be complete. It'll all be done. No more, no more violence. No more, no more any of the things that we see uh, ravage the world today. That'll all be finished. No pain, no sickness, no nothing. 
But we pray for that to happen today in our midst around us all the time. The morning star has fallen. That doesn't mean that we no longer have to do spiritual warfare. Yes, yes, uh, the morning star has fallen, but uh, we still need to stay in the game. That's why Jesus sent the 12 out and sent the 72 out. It's why we still do the things we do in the kingdom of God to serve and love people today. Uh, to, to, to do battle, to bring Satan down, to expand the kingdom and the reign of God in the midst of a fallen and broken world. And we do that by living lives of love. We do that just by being kind, by, by loving one another, by caring for the needs of people around us. That's, that's how the kingdom of God is advanced in, in our world. And that's what we're really about. Um, Verse 19, he says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. And again, the snakes and scorpions here are symbolic of demonic forces in people's lives. And just as if you've ever, you know, been camping or wherever, you know, snakes and scorpions are scary little critters. And if you get bit by one, it sting. And, and they, they, it hurts. It causes pain. And it causes injury. And that's what happens in the spiritual realm as well. Uh, there, there's things out there that will sting us and bite us, and they leave a mark. Uh, they, will, they will inject a little poison into the system and rob us from the joy. Uh, this passage to me is it's profound in that Jesus is talking about warfare and he's filled with joy, and I just think that there is a, there is a dynamic at play there that we need to recognize, that joy comes... Uh, from an understanding of the authority we have in Christ, not necessarily from the circumstances or the situation we're in. There really are things out there that can uh, inject poison in our lives and injure us. And, and what Jesus is saying is we, boys and girls, men and women, people of the kingdom of God have authority over those things. Whether those things come in the form of jealousy or envy or bitterness or unforgiveness or anger or lust or whatever form they take, Jesus is saying we can have authority over those things. They don't have to be able to have that grip and that hold on you. We don't have to walk with that poison in our system. And we've all felt that, I think, at different times. We all know people who live in that place with a poison in their system. They've been injected by some of those things, and it rules their lives. It controls everything about them. They walk and live in that place of bitterness, that place of, of anger, that place of being upset with people around them, and they don't even realize it. And he says, you have authority over those things. We can think, we can think it's, it's part of life. It's just natural consequences. That comes from, from a bad relationship or poor parenting or I don't know, being a three on the Enneagram or something. It, 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 it just, it, it's all these consequences. No, it's more than that. There's a spiritual dynamic to it. There's a spiritual reality to those things that we can come into an awareness of that and that awareness alone will help us to be free from them. Verse 19 says, nothing will harm you. Now before we get too carried away. Uh, that's not a guarantee that nothing bad will ever happen. It is, a, it, it is a promise that we have the ability to overcome those things. Spiritual warfare is complex, but the, 
the primary application of that text, nothing will harm you, is spiritual rather than physical, although it does have physical implications. Acts 26, Paul, you remember, gets bit by a snake and nothing happens. He doesn't get sick or die or anything. Um, let's put that in the category of don't try this at home, okay? I'm just saying, I'm not recommending that. Have anybody ever seen like documentaries about those snake handling churches? Oh man, I, that just creeps me out. Dudes say, oh, you got these snakes. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. Uh, it's, a little autom- it's a little too literal. Whatever. The point, I believe, is this, that we can pray for protection and we do pray for protection. We can have a confidence that God will give us authority and protection over those things that can rob us from the abundant life that he promised us. But it's not a license to be reckless. And I, and I think that's the point for us. Is it doesn't mean just be reckless and throw all caution to the wind. It really means walk circumspectly. Keep your eyes focused on who Jesus is and walk in that place where you know you're in his presence and in his protection. We want to be on guard all the time. Because first of all, the devil is a liar. And second of all, he's very sneaky. And he'll sneak and he'll work his way in to our lives if we allow him to. It is complex. We live in a fallen world. It's a complex world. But here's the application and the end game to this. And if uh, the worship team wants to come back up, I'm going to close with this. Go to Romans. Um, who shall separate? This is Romans eight. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can take who he says we are away from us if we understand who we are. So let's stand. Look, stuff happens in life. As I said, there's no guarantee that things won't happen, but uh, that's not the final word. Final word is rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Rejoice that you are among those who know who Jesus is and have the authority over those things. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.